Chicago, 1947. It was a cold, 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 cold. It was a night. It was frigid. It was, yeah, it was, it was frigid. I just finished going through some cold cases on my desk. Uh, sitting there in my mother's wedding, dra- uh, 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 three-piece suit. Sipping on a two-finger whiskey in a martini and an apple sour and a six-pack of Bud Light. Everything is fine and dandy in my life until this woman came through my door and ruined the rest of my life. It was the case that broke me. It was the case that made me. It was a case of Hot Wheels. Hot Wheels are dope as shit. She gave me the Hot Wheels tower. That was awesome. Do you guys remember Star Wars toys? Those were cool. I wish I still had some. If I was a Star Wars character, I'd be Boba Fett. Or maybe Jabba the Hutt. Oh, no, Jabba was dope. What was I talking about? Ah, the case of my career. She lost a cat. Showed up her cat was out in a tree or out selling coke to the Chinese. I remember this one time in Mexico. Did a shitload of cocaine. I kind of rewired my brain and I was hallucinating that I was a detective. I was the detective in the 40s. But actually it was 2019 I was locked in the Locked in a room with two of my best friends on a podcast. Man, drugs are fun. Do you guys remember Star Wars toys? Those were dope. Has anybody seen this lady's cat? It's a tabby. It's a tabby with a white spot on his nose. Made me believe that it was, it was doing coke. Does anybody have any coke? Where am I? Alright guys, I'm out of the hospital. I'm no longer a 1920s uh, noir detective. They found the problem. I had an injury to my head. What caused the injury to your head, Joseph? I wanted to see if I could fly. God damn it. (laughs) I swear, sometimes with you, I I don't know what to do with you. I'm not surprised anymore. Welcome to the Torn Page Podcast. It's 2020. It's our first episode of the year. Yeah. Whoop, whoop. We're going to have a clear vision for this whole year. No. <laughs> Everything's going to be clear, like a good prescription. For your chlamydia. Eyeglasses. Oh, okay. <laughs> Did you get new glasses? Oh, I thought that's true. I'm making a 2020 joke. Oh, yeah. I already had. I have 2015 vision, so. Yeah. I have negative 30. (laughs) (laughs) Negative 30 and negative 25 and astigmatism in both eyes. Woo! Nice gene lottery. (laughs) (laughs) I ate a lot of carrots as a kid. They were supposed to improve eyesight or was it help you see in the dark? Help you see in the dark. Oh. I can see in the dark. Yeah, yeah, that didn't work either. (laughs) (laughs) So I drove like... Four miles with my parking brake on earlier. Yeah, you're smart. That okay. gives off a uh, distinct aroma. Yeah. Yeah. Burning. Still, still works. It's your that's your rear brakes. Yeah, it still works. Like that's yeah. You wanna fix my brakes? 
No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll pay for the stuff and we can fix them. Whatever. Yep. But anyway, welcome to Page Podcast. This is us. Uh, I'm Casey. I am Dustin. I am tired. That's Joseph. Um, <laughs> welcome, everyone. Today we're going to do the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. A little event that happened back in the day, Prohibition era. A lot of people died. 1929. Uh, a lot of a lot of blap blap. 1929, the era of the Great Depression. Yeah. Or like 2015 to present day, where I'm in a Great Depression. Yes, <laughs> yes. So before before we get into what happened on that day with the St. Valentine's Day massacre, and we're gonna talk about Al Capone, a major player in it. We're gonna talk about Bugs Moran, which is another major play in it. Before I do that, I do want to say one thing. Um, it's 2020. It's a new year. So I made a switch. So our podcast, we used to run the podcast hosting through Podbean. Well, now, I guess it's technically a hashtag ad, I guess. Hashtag. Um, well, I switched to Captivate.fm. Uh, I like the way their website is a lot more. It's a lot smoother. Um, allowed a lot more to do with the domain address I had. Um, a lot of things. They're a new company. They just started early 2019, but they are ran by some pretty popular or people that had experience in the field, rebel based media. But I do have an affiliate link for captivate.fm. It's going to be in the description of the video from wherever you're watching it at. And if you click on that link, sign up for captivate FM. If you want to switch, let us know. We're done. Okay. I think that's all I think I needed to shout out at the beginning. Um, shout out to our Instagram. Uh, a lot of podcasts have been following us, talking to us. Uh, I love the support between podcasts. It's really cool. Uh, next episode, we're going to go through and we'll uh, shout out some of those podcasts that have been following us that we to, listen to. I had to silence my phone because I'm in charge of the podcast Instagram. And I keep getting notifications from it about people following us and commenting and liking. And I had to turn it off because I sleep during the day. Yeah, he works third shift now. But appreciate all of it. Yeah, it's been super cool um, seeing more growth. Um, you can talk about Mutant Fam if you want to. Yeah, we are now on this website called MutantFam.com. That's M-U-T-A-N-T-F-A-M.com. It's a collection of podcasts, YouTube channels, blogs, all about horror. Etsy shops. There's Etsy shops on there where you can buy custom-made things. Like, there's this sweet custom Jason Voorhees mask pillow thing that I want to order. It's dope as shit. Yeah. Um, Fuck you. <laughs> y- y'all remember, uh, we talked about him before, Channel of the Living Dead. It's one of Joseph's friends. Or, he guy he knows, whatever. And uh, he got us onto this website, Mutant Fam. It's, uh, I guess since we do talk about the paranormal and stuff like that, it's not just true crime that we talk about. It kind of, uh, kind of, we, we fit in there. Yeah, you could also hear um, podcasts along the lines of Garage-A-Rama, not of the horror file. Dear Final Girl. Final Girls, that is my favorite movie, one of my favorite movies, by the way. Shut up. <laughs> Killer horror critic, unwanted things. I've heard that before. All American Spook My Show wife. podcast. 
Yeah, Mute Fam's really cool. Uh, it's a big ragtag just collection of um, just creators within uh, mainly the horror, mainly horror. I don't know if there's many other true crime stuff in there. I think it's a mainly uh, horror focused, but it's uh, it's really cool. It's a big collection of people, everybody coming together, supporting each other. There, there's cool. one on here that I kind of want to check out. It's called Hops and Fears. They talk about beer and scurry shit. Hell yeah. So it's kind of like us talking about scurry shit. Yeah. Vaping. Yeah. Because I had that great idea to name the podcast something different fucking four months into it. <laughs> hey, there's always room to do other stuff. Never worry about that. Yeah, but the, the site is kind of like a homage. Homage. To Joe Bob Briggs. Yeah. He, the last drive-in, Mutant Vision. Yeah. TNT back in the day, you know. You can also download the Slasher app. It's on Google Play or the Apple App Store. Yeah. Yep. I don't know much about... Um, I haven't looked too much into Mutant Fam. I really... only He only told me about it yesterday. Did for yesterday. Yeah, I mentioned it. A while back, but I didn't get a chance to look into it. He, he missed it yesterday, which I'm super cool with. And then the next thing I know, we're on it. Yeah. Uh, Kenny Red, shout out to Kenny Red. He got us put on there uh, with yeah, all the check other out podcasts. his channel, uh, Channel of the Living Dead on YouTube. He and does a lot of unboxings, uh, reviews, horror stuff. It's all horror centric, uh, movie reviews, stuff like that. It's uh, he's he's super cool. Yeah, he's a cool guy. He really he really like he really enjoys what he's doing. You can tell. Yeah, it's his passion. He yeah. really believes in it. So yeah, uh, I think that's everything we need from the start. I think we can get started. I don't think. Chant we? Yep, let's get started. So, we're going to talk about uh, Al Capone. Uh, Al Capone, as Al we Capone. like to call him. Fun fact. Because he fucks bitches. He do. And Al Capone is also the reason why we have expiration dates on milk. Yes. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend's grandmother's dad drove cabs in New York. Really? And he... Drove Al Capone one day. Nice. Yeah. Hell nice. yeah. Like, that's uh, like, that's gotta be really cool, but also terrifying. Like, back, yeah. <laughs> like back then, uh, Mimi, my girlfriend's grandmother, she was you know, a little girl. She was in the front seat and she said her dad picked up Al Capone. Yeah. He's probably a pretty cool dude to like normal he people. He gave us expiration dates on milk. <laughs> Anything else he does is just subpar to expiration dates on milk. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So to give a little reference uh, to the actual St. Valentine's Day massacre, we're going to talk about the major parties involved. We have Alphonse Gabriel Capone. They called him Al for short because I guess Alphonse isn't tough. (laughs) I guess Alphonse isn't tough enough. Whatever. He's an Italian man born January 17th, 1899, sometimes known as Scarface. Ooh. Hell yeah. American gangster and businessman who he attained his notoriety during the Prohibition era as the co-founder and boss of the Chicago Outfit. So he's born in New York City. He originally was part of the Five Point Gangs as a teenager. Did some work as a bouncer at uh, some brothels. But then he decided to move to Chicago, become a bodyguard and trusted factotum for Johnny Torrio, which was a four. Uh, he was 
the head of a criminal syndicate that became the outfit. And they constantly would uh, conflict with the Northside gang, which I believe is the Irishman that Bugs is part of, which was, in, I mean, instrumental to his rise and fall. It was like the greatest thing that ever happened to him was the fight with the Northside gang and also the worst thing that ever happened to him. But Capone was, he was just a major bootlegger. And the big thing about Al Capone was he rose to power by being violent as fuck. Anyone in his way, dead. Didn't matter who it was, dead. If he had a problem with you, dead. And uh, a lot of gangs weren't like that back then. I mean, they were they were violent when they had to be, but if he needed someone gone, he got them gone real fucking fast. They done get got gone. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's a lot of people looked at him as a modern day Robin Hood as, as well. He did donate to various charities, as Joseph said. He created expiration dates on fucking milk, and I will always love him for that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Al Capone at the at the time of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, which was twenty nine, right? Um, it was two years before Al Capone went into jail, so he was still like at his height, running shit in Chicago, not worried about nothing, bootlegging. So, touch that. That's that's all. That's just tells you about Al Capone before we get started on the actual event. Uh, Joseph's gonna talk about bugs real quick. Oh. Give you a little bit about Bugs. Oh, Bugsy boy. And then we will talk about the actual massacre that took place. Okay, so I'm going to butcher the fuck out of this. Yeah. Adelard Cunin. Cunin? Adelard. Better known as George Bugs Moran. Yep, Adelard is definitely right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was a Chicago Prohibition era gangster. He was incarcerated three times before his 21st birthday. Seven members of his gang were gunned down in a warehouse in the St. Valentine's Day Massacre of February 14th, 1929, supposedly on the orders of rival Al Capone. Bugsy Boy was born Adelard Cunin. Cunin? Cunin. Probably Cunin. Whatever. He's French. I'm going to call him Addy. I thought he was Irish. Whatever. Well, he was... Born in, uh, he was born August 21st, 1893, in St. Paul, Minnesota. We just lost fans <laughs> in Minnesota. Minnesota. And uh, other names he went as is George Moran, George Clarence Moran, George Gage, and George Morrissey. He is allegiance to the Northside Gang. Northside, yo. Northside. And, uh... That's really weird that they, he's, his parents are French, but he joined an Irish gang. Yeah, his parents, Jules and Marie Diana Gobble. Gobble Cunning. Cunin in St. Paul, Minnesota. He attended Creighton High School. That sounds like yeah. you're a supervillain <laughs> going to grade school. Private Catholic school, yeah. In St. Paul, but he also joined a local juvenile gang and left school at 18. That's, I mean, that's the legal age. True. <laughs> that's probably the only legal thing he's ever fucking done. <laughs> he was later caught robbing a store and was sent to the state juvenile correctional facility and was put in jail three times before he turned 21. 
He then fled to Chicago, where he was caught trying to rob a warehouse, taking part in a horse stealing ring. Horse stealing ring. Hell yeah! I mean, this you was can like make some money. This in was that, like nineteen hundreds, nineteen ten. So yeah, uh, taking part in robbery involving the death of a police officer and robbing a freight car, for which he received a variety of prison and jail sentences. This dude did it all. Yeah, uh, by yeah, it said put in jail three times before he turned twenty one. Those were some serious shit. He was, for, he was a man of many hats. Man of many hats, and a lot of hats ended up in jail. But yeah, yeah. See, uh, bugs, bugs. Um, just like Al Capone, when they when the Eighteenth Amendment was enacted, they saw an opportunity. They didn't see, oh shit, we're not gonna get alcohol. They're like, oh shit, we can make money. It's like previously all they had was drugs to make money off of. Now something everyone depends on, they can make money off of. Like I guess this right here is his biggest criminal charge, but robbing and conspiracy to, uh, to counterfeit check and cash a sixty-two thousand dollar American Express check. Yeah, uh, just like Al Capone got <laughs> hit for tax evasion. You got an MX. <laughs> just, just like when uh, so Al Capone finally got hit for tax evasion. That's what put him under. Yeah. George Moran, George Moran's a lot sadder whenever he went down. He uh, died, broke his shit. Penniless. At 62. 63. Yeah, that was his, that was his final charge was he stole a bunch of American Express checks and tried to get them cashed. And that's what <laughs> oh took him God. down. None of the gang shit took him down. It was that that took him down. Among, among the in- involved gangs were Dean O'Banion and his mostly Irish group, including Bugs, who became known as the North Side Gang, and Al Capone as the leader of the Italian mob on the South Side. These two rivals fought violently, resulting in what was known as the Bootleg Battle of the Marne. Why did I go pirate? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so we got the North Side Gang, and we got the Chicago Outfit. That's the, uh, that's who's going at it. That's what put this St. Valentine's Day massacre to happen. So... Let's get into it. So the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. It was 10.30 a.m. Thursday, February 14th, 1929. You had seven men murdered at the garage at 2122 North Clark Street in Lincoln Park neighborhood of Chicago's North Side. They were shot by four men using weapons that included two Thompson shot. Thomason? Thompson. Thompson. My brain is fried. Two Thompson submachine guns. Yeah. Chicago Tuck Rider. Yeah. Two of the shooters were dressed as uniformed policemen, while the others wore suits, ties, overcoats, and hats. Witnesses saw the fake police leading the other men out at gunpoint after the shooting. Really smart way to get away. Really, yeah. So, the victims were five members of the Northside Gang. Moran's second in charge and brother-in-law Albert Kachalek, also known as James Clark. Let's just go Clark. Yeah, we'll go with James Clark. He was killed along with Adam Hayer, which was the gang's bookkeeper and business manager. Albert Weinshank, who manages several cleaning and dyeing operations, and gang enforcers Frank Gusenberg and Peter Gusenberg. Two collaborators were also shot. Reinhardt H. Schwimmer, a former optician turned gambler and gang associate, and John May, an occasional mechanic for the Moran gang. Real, actual police officers in Chicago, when they arrived at the scene, they found Frank Gusenberg was still alive. He hadn't died yet. He was taken to hospitals where doctors stabilized him for a short time. Police tried to question him. He had sustained 14 bullet wounds, 
the police asked him who did it, and he said, no one shot me. Yeah, this dude was real. Died three hours later. He, it was G till he died. He's like, what are you talking about? Nobody shot me. I got 14 <laughs> fucking bullet holes I'm looking in me. like a slice of Swiss cheese. No one shot no me. No one shot. I, I fell, and a doorknob hit me. <laughs> <laughs> I fell on a gun that went off a lot. The <laughs> Inside of me. <laughs> the massacre was alleged to be planned by the organization led by Al Capone just to get rid of Moran. But former Northside gang boss Dino Banyan had been murdered, murdered by four gunmen in his flower shop on North State Street in 1924. And each successive leader of the Northsiders was also killed along with the various members or associates of the Capone gang. So it seemed like uh, everything culminated up to them finally trying to get rid of Moran. They had already killed a bunch of leaders and... It's time to get rid of cut the head off the snake, I guess. Cut one head off and two more grow back. I guess that's how it would work back then. Several factors contributed to the timing of the plan. So earlier in the year, Frank Gusenberg and his brother Peter unsuccessfully attempted to murk Jack McGurn. Which I'm the Northside gang was complicit in the murders of Patsy. I ain't trying to say his name. And the Scourge, the Scourge, Scourge, Scourge. That's definitely Scourge. scourge. Both have been presidents of the Union Siciliana, Siciliana, Sicilian, Sicilian. Siciliana. I had to think of Golden Girls. Yeah, I did too. I thought of Golden Girls. (laughs) The Union Siciliana, the local mafia and close associates of Capone. Both Moran and Capone had been vying for control of the bootlegging trade in Chicago at the time. Marone had also been muscling in on Capone's dog track in the Chicago suburbs, and he had taken over several saloons that were run by Capone, insisting that they were in his territory. He done fucked up. The plan was, we lure Moran to the warehouse on North Clark Street on February 14th to kill him and perhaps two or three of his lieutenants. It is usually assumed that the Northsiders were lured to the garage with the promise of stolen cut-rate shipment of whiskey supplied by the Purple Gang, which was also associated with Capone. The The Gusenberg brothers were supposed to drive two empty trucks to Detroit that day to pick up two loads of stolen Canadian whiskey. All the victims were dressed in their best clothes with the exception of John May, as was customary for the Northsiders and other gangsters at the time. Most of the Moran gang arrived at the warehouse by approximately 10.30 a.m. on <coughs> Valentine's Day. That peaked. <laughs> Are you good? <laughs> but no, Moran wasn't there, having left his apartment late. He and fellow gang member Ted Newberry approached the rear of the warehouse from a side street when they saw a police car approaching the building. They immediately turned and retraced their steps going to a nearby coffee shop. They encountered Henry Gusenberg on the street and warned him, so also he turned back. Northside gang member Willie Marks also spotted the police car on his way to the garage, and he ducked into a doorway and jotted down the license plate before leaving the neighborhood. Capone's lookouts likely mistook one of Marad's men from Marad himself, probably Albert Weinshank, who also was the same height and build. The physical similarity between the two men was enhanced by their dress that morning, both wearing the same color overcoats and hats. Nah, you gotta change. <laughs> no, you change. Gotta change. Where they witnesses outside saw a Cadillac stand pull up to a stop in front of the garage. Four men emerged and walked inside. Two of them dressed in a police uniform. 
The two fake officers carried shotguns and entered the rear portion of the garage where they found members of the gang and collaborators who were fixing one of the trucks. The fake policeman then ordered the men to line up against the wall. They then signaled to the pair in civilian clothes who had accompanied them. Two of the killers opened fire with Thompson submachine guns, one with a 20-round box and another a 50-round drum. They were thorough, spraying the victims left and right, even continuing to firing after all seven had hit the floor. Two shotgun blasts afterwards all but obliterated the faces of John May and James Clark. To give appearance that everything was under control, the men in street clothes came out with their hands up, prodded by the two uniformed policemen. Inside the garage, the only survivors in the house were May's dog, Highball, and Frank Gusenberg, despite 14 bullet wounds. He was still conscious, but died three hours later, refusing to utter a word of the identities. The Valentine's Day massacre set off a public outcry, which posed a problem for all mob bosses. Yeah. Damn. Don't fuck with Al Capone. The newspapers instantly picked up on the crime, dubbing it the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. The story appeared on front pages around the country, making Capone a nationwide celebrity. While Capone seemed to revel in his new fame, he also had to deal with a new level of attention from federal law enforcement officials. George Bugs Moran knew Capone wanted him killed and pegged the crime on him right away. Only Capone kills like that, he said. Though authorities had no concrete evidence, Capone was in Florida and his henchman McGurn had an alibi of his own. No one was ever tried for the most spectacular slaying in mob history. Capone did it. <laughs> John yeah. Benet Ramsey. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it was common knowledge that Moran was hijacking liquor shipments from Capone. And police focused their attention on the Purple Gang. Landladies, uh, Miss Duty and Miss Orvidson who had taken in three of the men as rumors before massacres. The rooming houses were directly above the street from the garage. They picked up mug shots of purple members, George Lewis, Eddie Fletcher, Phil Kaywell, Harry, but all later waived in their identification. The police questioned and cleared all four of the suspects. Nevertheless, the Kiwa brothers and by extension, the purple game remained ensnared in the massacre case of all for all time. They always thought it was the purple gang that did it. Many also believed that what the killers wanted them to believe, that the police killed them. A lot, after this happened for a long, long time, people thought that the cops actually did it. Mm-hmm. That the cops were the ones that wanted them all dead. Which I guess, I mean... I mean, it's convincing. Back then, cops only had a revolver and shotguns. Yeah. That, that's what they carried. Surprisingly, right before we did this episode, I looked up what was common to carry back then. Yeah. I was like... Like, okay, when did SWAT become a thing? Do you know? Uh, when those type of specialized units became a thing? Let's ask Lord Google. Ooh, early 80s? Yeah, because I was thinking like, okay. I'm not too sure. Maybe like 70s. Like because this, this was 70s, early 80s. This was like late 20s, early 30s. I was thinking, so... Uh, first created in the 1960s to handle riot control and violent okay. confrontations with criminals. Okay, so... When, when, what is their response though when they show up to a gang fight? Someone using Thompsons. Well, I mean, they had Thompsons too. That's like, what I'm thinking. Their, like their, their main, their primary weapons was a six shooter revolver. I want to say it was a 45. I can't remember. Um, at that time, it was 
1911 hadn't been become popular until the 30s or 40s. They used uh, they, they Winchesters. St- yeah, they, they still used the revolvers. Then I want to say it was a 45. It was a shotgun, and then they had Thompsons. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, there has to be like a like, specialist yeah. division that used assault rifles. Well, it wasn't even. A, it, was, it wasn't even a specialized division. It was just. I feel hey, like the cops wouldn't use each, Thompsons though. Each precinct has like this many Thompsons, but think I have of, a like, feeling they would have World War Thompson, not the fucking like gangster group and everything. No, I think they. Would, I, I have a feeling there. they would have had like. Uh, the bar was now some type of Browning instead. Didn't Browning had a gun out in World War One? It was uh, wasn't the bar around before World War Two? Uh, no. Well, I mean, you can't really carry that thing anyway. That thing's fucking enormous. Well, no, you can. The BAR, Bars are fucking uh, heavy, okay? Yeah, they're heavy, but they were, they were <laughs> designed to be carried. Yeah, I would think the police wouldn't... I mean, I, yeah, Tommy guns. I mean, they, they had Thompsons. Like, not, it not, was just a standard issue Thompson. Each precinct, you have this... You have four. Yeah, like, that's true. kind of deal, you know? So it's mainly like your, your sergeants and shit would get the Thompsons. Yeah, because I was trying to think, like, how would police back then escalate you know because police rule is um you have a level of uh escalation you're always one above the criminals Mm -hmm. so if they have like for instance if they have like a semi-automatic pistol then you can go one above if they have their hands you can go one above with a baton or a taser yeah it's always wondered how that uh response would be it's kind of weird i mean they'd probably call it in and they'd roll up with fucking thompson yeah you know what (laughs) <laughs> what the fuck are you no go away but yeah so like they, they could they could respond appropriately because again they had thompson's they had the shotguns which were fucking 12 gauges and then you have your six shooters which i think's a 45 yeah, yeah. yeah i believe they used um they still used revolvers for a long fucking time yeah. the, like the 1911 was made in 1911 mm-hmm. yeah but, I, was, I was gonna be a dick and have a shitty joke when you said <laughs> yeah the 1911 didn't become popular until a moment i was about to say 1911 <laughs> <laughs> yeah for some reason uh they didn't trust semi-automatic pistols for a long fucking time i guess yeah. it was just like the tried and true we've been using these yeah. six shooters for the, fucking the 1911 ever. was kind of adopted later in its life and I think it was World War II we pretty much immediately dropped that for the Beretta yeah a lot like, of, they, they were just like fuck revolvers we're done this makes yeah. more sense we can hold more than six bullets even though 1911 doesn't hold that many more but whatever really Okay, investigation. Uh, February 22nd, police were called to the scene of a garage fire on Wood Street where they found a 1927 Cadillac sedan disassembled, partially burned, and they determined the killers had used the car. It was the getaway car. They traced the engine number to a Michigan Avenue dealer who had sold the car to James Morton of Los Angeles. You a little far from home. Dog. The garage had been rented by a man calling himself Frank Rogers, who gave his address as 1859 West North Avenue. That was the address of the Circus Cafe operated by Claude Maddox, a former St. Louis gangster with ties to the Capone Gang, the Purple Gang, and the Egan's Rats. Police could not turn up any information about persons named James Morton or Frank Rogers, but they had a definitive lead on one of the killers. Just before the killings, a truck driver had turned a corner a block away from the garage where they were killed, and he sideswiped a police car. He told police that he stopped immediately, but was waved away by the uniformed driver, who was missing a front tooth. 
Board of Education president had witnessed the accident and he gave the description of the driver. Police were confident they were describing Fred Burke, a former member of Egan's Rats. Burke and a close companion named James Ray were known to wear police uniforms whenever on a robbery spree. Burke was also a fugitive under indictment of robbery and murder in Ohio, and they also suggested Joseph Lolordo could have been one of the killers because his brother Pasqualino's recent murder by the Northside gang. Okay. That's a good getaway though. Yeah. Like you're, if you're, you're on a robbery spree, you just dress up as cops. Fuck it. Especially back then. No one's going to, no one knows every cop. You know, yeah, like, yeah, he's a cop. It's not like yeah, we're fuck in cop. fucking Mayberry. And I know, right? It's like, oh, there's Andy Taylor and Barney Fife. I don't know how you could have a town with just two cops. When nothing happens, I mean, I guess it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Back then, I mean, you gotta think back in like the early 1900s before talent, before civilization, I guess, <laughs> you know, when like every town was like, a couple hundred people, I guess. But then the fucking boomers. I mean, like you literally knew everybody. Yeah, you knew you every know? single person in your town. Then boomers just had to come back from the war and fuck everybody. <laughs> fucking boomers. Babies. Babies everywhere. But uh, they nothing really came of the investigation. They were never able to really pin it down on anyone. They all had their suspicions. They all thought, maybe this guy... They're like, look, Capone hired the hit no matter what. But we can't prove it, so... Fuck. I think the closest they had was a man named Burke. I think Fred Burke. Uh, They raided his bungalow. That word's always been funny to me. Bungalow. (laughs) But they raided Burke's bungalow, and they found a large trunk containing a bulletproof vest... Almost $320,000 in bonds recently stolen from a Wisconsin bank. Two Thompson submachine guns, pistols, two shotguns, and thousands of rounds of ammunition. Nice. Now they would think he's a lot different than what he was. You raid somebody's house think that, there's probably like a school shooter is what people will say. Uh, No, he's just a gangster, man. St. Joseph authorities immediately notified Chicago police. Why do I say police like that? I can't help it. (laughs) They requested both machine guns be tested because forensics was slowly becoming a thing. And they identified both weapons were used in the massacre. They also discovered that one of them had also been used in the murder of Frankie Yale a year and a half earlier. Unfortunately, no further concrete evidence surfaced in the massacre case. Burke was captured over a year later on a Missouri farm. The case against him was strong in connection to the murder of Officer Skelly, so he was tried in Michigan and sentenced to life imprisonment, which he died of in 1940. The only real connection they had to the case, they couldn't prove it, so... Yeah, there's a, do you want to talk about the stuff Bolton did? He's a, I think he's an FBI agent. Michael Bolton? Uh, Byron Bolton. He was a Navy machine gunner and an associate of the Eakins Rats. He had barely been a valet of Chicago hitman Fred Goats, which Fred Goats was a uh, big time hitman in Chicago, was big friends with uh, Capone probably. Probably not friends. Hitman, you usually don't have friends. The FBI had no... The the FBI had uh, surrounded it, taking these guys down, and Bolton claimed to have been taken... He took part in the massacre with Goats, Fredberg, and several others. 
So, granted, the FBI has no jurisdiction over a state murder case, so they kept Bolton's revelations confidential until the Chicago American newspaper reported a second-hand version of his confession. The newspaper declared the crime had been solved, despite being stonewalled by J. Edgar Hoover and the Bureau, <laughs> who did not want any part of the massacre case. The feds were trying to keep out of it. But, like, part... Boston's story, or Bolton's story, kept getting spread through national media, but it was never a first-hand account. He never gave uh, the media his account of what happened. It's just hearsay of people that think they heard what he said. But he claimed that he and Jimmy Moran were charged with watching the SMC Cartage Garage and phoning the signal to the killers at Circus Cafe when Bugs Moran, Bugs Moran arrived. Police have found a letter addressed to Bolton in the lookout nest and possibly a vial of prescription medicine. Why that matters, I don't know. Bolton guessed that the actual killers had been Burke, Winkler, Goats, Bob Carey, and Raymond Crane Neck, Nugent, <laughs> and Claude Maddox. <laughs> My man's name is Crane Neck. Oh, Crane Neck. Say <laughs> so four shooters, two getaway drivers. Bolton gave an account of the massacre different from the one generally told by historians. He claimed that he saw only plainclothes men exit the Cadillac and go into the garage. This indicated that a second car was used by the killers. George Bruchette claimed to have seen at least two uniformed men exiting a car in the alley entering the garage through its rear doors. A Peerless Motor Company sedan. What's Peerless Motors? Peerless? Yeah, what's Peerless Motors? Who are they owned by now? They're not a thing anymore. Okay. They were one of the three P's. Packard, Peerless, and Pierce Arrow. Writing, reading, and... Apparently they made high-quality luxury automobiles from... Ooh, jalopies. 1900 to 1930. But anyway, one of their fancy-ass cars were found at a house owned by Claude Maddox nearby not long after the massacre. And one of the pockets was an address book belonging to Albert Winshank, one of the killers, I think. Yeah. Bolton said he had mistaken one of Moran's men to be Moran, after which he telephoned the signal to the cafe. The killers had expected to kill Moran and two or three of his men, but they were unexpectedly confronted with seven. They simply decided to kill them all and get out fast. Bolton claimed that Capone was furious with him for his mistake and resulting police pressure and threatened to kill him, only to be dissuaded by Fred Goats. Yeah. Al Capone ordered the hit. Oh, it was totally Al Capone. But more importantly, expiration dates on milk. <laughs> I can't deal with you. I want milk. We're out of milk. I gotta yeah. milk. Let's not talk about the fact that because of gangsters back then, we have like the NRA and shit. We got a $200 tax stamp on suppressors and SBRs. But we have expiration dates on milk. Fuck all that shit, right? Because expiration dates on milk. Fuck the NRA. And, oh god fuck the NRA there's actually a song by uh, Youngblood called Machine Gun parentheses fuck the NRA yeah, yeah the NRA is a disgusting company they say they fight for the rights of Look, gun owners but they actually fight for the rights of their pockets when yeah. he when you bought that 770 <laughs> uh, like as soon as he bought it he was getting fucking emails from the NRA but like legitimately like it did, not even a day it was a couple hours later I got a fucking NRA email and then yeah. uh like the second day, he gets this whole fucking pamphlet, this Manila envelope, 
Yeah. Of just here's a bunch of shit from the NRA. Here's, here's our subscription levels. Here's, here's a sticker. Blah, blah blah. If you subscribe now, you can get a free bullshit. Yeah, it's fucking. You can get a free handy from yeah. uh, uh, Charlton Heston. <laughs> yeah, fuck the NRA, dude. They're they they constantly cause problems. Like that's like every time that the U.S. tries to go for any type of literally any law to do with a gun, it could probably be positive, and they'd probably get mad about it. Probably. But um, anytime we want to do anything, anytime a school shooting happens, uh, anything like that, and it's like, hey, this is going to be bad. This happened, and a lot of people died, and let's make it where this kid can't get guns. They're like, but everyone else. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, You know the whole reason literally behind the $200 tax stamp? Because $200 back then was like a fucking down payment on a car. That was like half of a car price. Yeah. Nowadays, it's an inconvenience. Yeah. Like, it's not changed at all. Yeah, they haven't changed the price. It's fucking ridiculous. Whatever. whole life is an inconvenience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, pretty much. A little fun fact about it is that it was demolished... In 1967, is now a parking lot for a nursing home. Nice. The bricks of the north wall against which the victims were shot were purchased by a Canadian businessman. (laughs) For many years, they were displayed in various crime-related novelty displays. Many of them were later sold individually, and the remainder are now owned by the Mob Museum in Las Vegas. That's pretty fucking cool. The Mob Museum. We need to check that shit out. I want to go up there and make a bad deal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's super cool the whole St. Valentine's Day massacre is insane they were literally just walk into a room mow seven people down and walk out mm-hmm. like nothing happened and never got caught for it yeah, that's how you took care of business back then yeah <laughs> there's no like secretive shit no it's just walk in and say what's up blap blap walk out All right, peace now like people I, I don't know if uh, back then people more conditioned to hear gunshots or if it's different now mm-hmm. because you'd think like, I guess we have more police now, so it'd be different. Yeah. Well, I think it police response like times faster now. Machine guns too. They were just commonplace. Like you could literally buy a gun out of a fucking back of a magazine back then. Yeah. You know, Sears like catalogs, fucking fully yeah. automatics weren't illegal either. Huh? Fully automatics weren't illegal. Yeah, no, really. like you could just buy that shit at your fucking at the corner store. Yeah. So everybody had a gun. I don't think there was much like registration either. Not really. Like I said, you could literally buy one out of the back of a magazine, like full fledged fucking hunting rifle. You yeah, wanted an old Sears magazine? Yeah, yeah old you Sears catalogs. You could get a Sears magazine, go to the back of it, pay like it was four or five hundred dollars. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember to get one. Or like two, three hundred dollars. I remember telling one. you about this because when we worked at FedEx, me, you, and mm-hmm. Wayne were talking, and he's like, he, you know, he's old. Yeah. Yeah. He old co- stuff. Fucking complains about shit. He's like, yeah, nobody's ordered out of Sears magazines anymore. <laughs> and then I we was have like, Amazon, yo. I was like, you could order a whole ass fucking gun out of it, and you were like, what? 
What? Really? I was like, you could really? order a fucking house out of one and they'd ship yeah. to you by train. Yeah. I mean, you can still order guns online, so. But it was like, it was the Sears magazine thing that got me. Yeah. Like, fucking really? Yeah, it's pretty yeah, wild. you just took the little order form in the middle and wrote down the yeah. product number and they'd ship you a fucking gun. Yeah. It's no like when they send fast. you the fucking magazines you don't want. Like, do you want to sign up? And they keep sending you every month so that you don't have to sign up anyway. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Sports Illustrated. Yeah. Yeah. What year do I want to go with for this? Because I just typed in Sears ad for gun. <laughs> like 1827. 1920. 1920. 1920, yeah. Sears has been around a long fucking time. Vintage gun ads. Yeah, it's pretty wild to see uh, how much things have changed. Especially weaponry. Like, back then, if you wanted something fully automatic, you had to carry a whole-ass Tommy gun. Yeah, and those... Now uh, you can just carry well, a Glock. <laughs> They didn't have auto, They didn't have machine pistols yet back then. Yeah, they're like five hundred. I don't bucks. think they did. Only no. Uzis weren't a thing yet. Not yet. There is one. I can't remember the name of it. Hold on. Let me I don't see. think let they had. The, was, let me see when it was made. I don't think they had the comp. Well, you, you could straight up order a fucking anti-tank rifle. Hell yeah! For ninety-eight dollars and fifty cents. There was a German gun back then. I'll take three. That right was now. super super small. It was like the predator. No, the predecessor to the P90 was the PPSH. Yeah, it was the PPSH. The MP40 was pretty big too. There wasn't really anything small. It's not like now we can have automatic Glock 18. It, it was the Mauser broom handle, but it wasn't fully automatic. It was a variant of that. I just can't remember what the fuck it's called. Yeah, it's it was uh, but then again, like everyone or, back then, no, wore yeah, the, the Mauser big, the Mauser broom handle. It was a fully automatic pistol. But but back then, you got to remember, everyone wore those really big overcoats. It was normal fashion. It did trench coats weren't out of place back then, like they are now, for you to hide a whole ass Tommy gun under. <laughs> Eric. Yeah. I, that that bothers. Star M nineteen twelve. Let's see. Fucking. Oh, okay. The, yeah, the Star M1912. Who's it made by? Uh, Star. Country. Uh, Where are they uh, from? Germany. Germany. That's what I thought. Yeah, it, it's German. That one's German. Uh, why are they always, was, Why were they always ahead of us? That Jesus motherfucker Christ. was... They're an hour ahead of us in time. <laughs> Probably more than an hour. A day. What caliber was yeah, it? Yeah, a day. They're it not a, a day ahead a, of us. Australia is a day ahead of us. Yeah, and they're also on fire. Yeah. It was a 9mm and could be converted into a fully automatic. Okay, I was, was wrong. There's another one, though. That, that's not the one I'm thinking of. What were you going to say, Joseph? You were about to say something. I can't fucking remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's nothing left for us on the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. That's, uh... I'm glad the dog survived. Yeah, I'm happy about that. Yeah, highball, they, you may be. they didn't shoot. I'm sure he's dead now. It's <laughs> fucking 100 years ago, almost. Yeah, almost 100 years ago. 90, 89 years, 90 years ago. A battery's the oldest dog in the world. 1929? It's almost 100 years. Yep. 91. Yeah, 91 years. Damn, dude, my grandmother would be like, fucking, wow, she was old. (laughs) (laughs) Man, if my my grandmother from my dad's side was still kicking, she'd be up at like 115 right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's why she ain't. Yeah, there's. <laughs> yeah, you, all right. You trip one old lady. <laughs> it was the Mauser C ninety six. That's what it was. We could totally do a spin off of him just talking about. That. <laughs> I, I would definitely talk with it too. C ninety six. 
Is um, it, is yeah, it, I, I think it was the Mauser scene. Played by Mauser? Yeah. Okay, so uh, technical difficulties are always wonderful. <laughs> um, we're, we're, I think we're going to end the episode here? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to outro. Um, we love you. Um, what else? Social medias. Yes. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, both at the Torn Page Pod. Yup. Keep doing that. Keep doing your thing. Leave likes, comments. Uh, DM us on Twitter if you want us to do a specific episode. Send your ideas because people have given me ideas for episodes and it's all the same stuff. Because thanks to that Netflix documentary that just came out, Don't Fuck With The Cats, everybody wants us to talk about Luca Magnata. Okay. I know nothing about that. Okay. Apparently, the that show is a big trigger warning. Yeah. Like, like the whole show is pretty... Really? Like, yeah. A lot of people said they couldn't watch it. Hmm. I uh, know nothing about the entire show. I've just seen people talk on Twitter. Uh, I thought it, it was about a dude killing cats for real, but yeah. it, it wasn't. What's it about? A dude that was kill like he was posting ads that he was killing people. Oh, okay. For gay sex. Uh, yeah, apparently the the show posts like pretty graphic stuff. So okay, nice. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Twitter, Instagram. My Twitter is at lasersgg. Uh, at Destin Gartman. At Joseph Basil. I've been meaning to change it, but. To something more yeah. rememberable. <laughs> Satanic? No. I'm going to change it to the same way that it is on my Facebook Messenger. But it was taken in all variations. But I was going to try to change it to throw that ass in a prayer circle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But it wouldn't let me. Yeah. Uh, go to our website. Ooh. TheTornPage.net. Uh, since I switched uh, podcast platforms, I now am able to use a website correctly, and the website doesn't look like complete shit. Yeah. I have new graphics getting made soon-ish. TM. Um, <laughs> it'll it'll come in a couple weeks. Um, Did you trademark soon? <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's so there's a it's a meme on the internet where uh, I I started doing it because I watch Coil. And uh, whenever he's talking to his chat about something, he'll say soon TM. I don't know why. <laughs> and I see people do it on Twitter all the fucking time. So I started doing it. Okay, sorry. You knew your anyway. shirt made of that. Just like, <laughs> soon TM. Yeah. But uh, yeah, new website, thetornpage.net. It's not a full website. Uh, it's being done through Captivate. It just has our podcasts. Uh, at the very bottom, there's a little uh, about the podcast thing. Um, yeah. You can also find us on mutantfam.com. Yep. We shouted out at the beginning. Shout out again. Mutantfam.com. What's up? Yo, yo, dab. Dab, dab. Uh, yeah. Check that out. And um, we have another project that might be coming soon-ish TM. Uh, me and Destin had a really good conversation last night about it. We haven't filled Joseph in at all. No, not yet. Of what we're gonna do, but um, Ooh, surprises. It's gonna it's gonna be like a month or two probably before we do anything. Um, we're kicking Joseph off the show. Yeah, take my fucking microphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we have a different project we might be doing. It's gonna be it's gonna be different, completely different than what we do now. So, uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, we're well, I'm not staying tuned because I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah, so <laughs> it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be kind of kind of neat, but. I think that's everything. Anything else? Party on. Bueller. 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 Oh, yeah. Get, get ready for my announcement. It's going to leave you shivering with anticipation.